We'd like to thank our friends at PwC for their support, partnership, and collaboration in making Retail Gets Real. Learn more about how PwC helps retailers at pwc.com. A whole lot of us at NRF all at the same time had the very necessary realization that if we couldn't come through for our members during this crisis, we should hang it up, turn in our badges. I mean, you've got no business being a trade association if you can't really put the accelerator down during the greatest crisis, certainly that I can imagine for retail. Welcome to Retail Gets Real, where we talk with retail's most fascinating leaders about the industry that impacts everyone, everywhere, every day. On today's episode, as we're 18 months into this pandemic, we're taking a moment to reflect on the past year and a half and what it's meant for retail. NRF has a unique perspective from working with hundreds of retailers, big and small, from every sector and in every region. And we've seen how they've responded to this crisis with ingenuity and resiliency. Our guest today is National Retail Federation's General Counsel and Chief Administrative Officer, Stephanie Martz. We're going to talk to her about how the NRF has worked with retailers throughout this time and the extraordinary ways retailers have come together as an industry to get through unimaginable challenges. But before we get to Stephanie, let me welcome my friend, my colleague, and my co-host, Mary McGinley. Hello, Mary. Hello, Bill. Hello, Steph. Stephanie, welcome to Retail Gets Real. Thank you, Bill. And thank you, Mary. Longtime listener, first-time guest. <laughs> well, as we were saying earlier, it's very, very hard to believe because, you know, in terms of what you do for the National Retail Federation, you've got uh, your finger on the pulse of just about everything that we undertake, every campaign, the advocacy, what we're doing policy-wise on the Hill, uh, the messaging. And so it seems very odd to me that this is your first time on the show. But what I do know is it won't be your last or we'll see. See how you do today. <laughs> so Stephanie, let's let's go to the top. So just tell us a little bit about Stephanie March, your background, and um, then let's get into a conversation about what we've been doing these last 18 months. Uh, well, my background could probably take the entire podcast. So uh, I'm going to boil it down. My uh, husband jokes, I was very fond of joking to people that I had the job of the year club for a while in, in Washington. <laughs> but like, like a lot of people in DC, I did uh, have the opportunity to try a lot of different things. So uh, after uh, law school, when I came back to DC, having gotten to undergraduate uh, here, I worked at a couple of different law firms and then switched over to public policy. And among other things, I worked for the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. I worked for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce in their litigation center. And I eventually ended up on the Hill where I was chief counsel for now majority leader Chuck Schumer uh, for about five and a half years. Then I worked in the Office of White House Counsel towards the end of President Obama's administration. After that, I lobbied on uh, legal privacy tech issues for a little while. And then I had the great good fortune of meeting the folks here at the National Retail Federation and was hired to be uh, NRF's general counsel after uh, our, your uh, longtime general counsel retired. Um, 
So I've been here since 2017 and it has been honestly probably my favorite job for a whole lot of reasons, as evidenced by the fact that I have actually stayed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you've probably broken a record. You know, it's weird because people that don't know Washington don't know politics or whatever. I mean, I had 13 jobs in my first 12 years and my dad always got on my case. He's like, Bill, when are you going to get a real job? And it wasn't really until I moved to Bentonville that he decided that perhaps maybe I was settling down into a real job. But that changed, of course. And I do have a real job. And I have a job that I'm very passionate about, that I enjoy uh, every single day. And I especially enjoy working with you, Stephanie and Mary, and the rest of our colleagues and the brands that we represent. And speaking of those brands, so March the 13th, we closed the office for stress test of the technology to see that if, in fact, we had to close the office for a period of time, we would be able to do our business. <laughs> luckily, uh, luckily, we passed the stress test because yeah, we didn't. Well, luckily, yeah. yeah, because we never went back. Um, and so, you know, in, in those early days, it's really, when you think about it, it's almost hard to reimagine. I mean, it, it is... It was a dark period. It was it, there was so much uncertainty. Uh, we didn't know how we were going to do our jobs, much less be able to offer advice and counsel to our members who were trying to figure out how to do their jobs and serve the communities that they serve and their associates and keeping them healthy and safe. And yet, we muddled through. And I would say, I mean, I can't. You can't be honest and say that we were strategic and everything that we did was just you know we knew where we were going and what we were doing. A lot of it was truly muddled. Yeah, absolutely. But we started the program. I mean, one of the things that the NRF does great is we convene. So we we have uh, an opportunity to bring people together and to have these important discussions. Tell me, we got into the uh, pandemic. It was it was announced. Uh, offices were closing, stores were closing, essential stores, non-essential stores. What did we do? Uh, we tried not to panic, I think would be tried the, the first word. answer that comes, Mary panicked that a comes lot, to mind. and I, and I laugh, but you know, if you look back, uh, on those early days in March and April, it really was no laughing matter. I mean, it was, no one had any idea how long this was going to go for. Um, and I think part of what made this feel like you know, sort of gave us all a feeling of vertigo, like we were falling and falling and falling, is that at first, I, I, a lot of us were thinking, oh, you know, we'll be on lockdown for four weeks and then we'll be back. We were taking bets on, you know, will we be back for Easter? Will we be back, you know, for summer? And as the news seemed to get worse and worse every successive day, and it became clear to us, this is going to be longer than we initially thought. Um, we all started to imagine what the what what the economy was going to look like, what our members were going to be going through, and and you know in turn, honestly, what what we could do as a trade association to help our members, but also to in turn make sure that we stayed afloat through their staying afloat. I mean. It was, you know, what what was good for for us was good for everybody at the end of the day. And a whole lot of us at NRF all at the same time had the very necessary realization that if we couldn't come through for our members during this crisis, we should hang it up 
turn in our badges. I mean, you've got no business being a trade association if you can't really put the accelerator down during the greatest crisis, certainly that I can imagine for retail. I was not at NRF in 2008, uh, but but this is this is un, you know we've we've been through financial crises before. We have not been through a pandemic before, and every single thing that our members were facing was literally unprecedented. And so there was never a more important time for us, as you referenced already, to serve as a convener because the almost the only thing that was helpful for a lot of our members was the opportunity for them to talk to each other and compare notes. And we went through, if you think back to you know March of 2020, everybody was going through the same path of how to how to close stores and send people home. Um, and then in April and May, how to bring people back, how to bring people back safely, how to do it legally, how to comply with dozens of different leave laws. And so we kind of erred on the side of speed in terms of getting information to our members because things were happening very quickly. And there was there was a period in time uh, when we started to host calls every day, sometimes multiple calls every day on different topics, uh, just to let our members talk to each other and uh, compare notes on everything from you know pretty detailed and in the weeds legal issues like whether whether and when you need to issue a warn act notice because you're laying people off uh, to more global issues. Like how many stores are you closing? And are you are you, you know, trying to talk to landlords across the country about what you're going to do about retail space if you don't think you can sustain all of it? We ended up calling the whole thing Operation Open Doors. And that kind of helped us get our arms around what we were trying to accomplish and to get us a little bit more focused as time went on on exactly what kind of content and what kind of service we would provide to our members. And it, it you know, to start with, it was very much focused on the fact that we were the first trade association to roll out an interactive map where our member, it was updated every day and our members could get online and look down to the county and city level at what various jurisdictions were doing about you know, masking, uh, density, closings, openings, all kinds of things like that. The law firm Cypher Shaw uh, really uh, joined us in putting the accelerator down and getting that map up and running and populated with really important content. And then we kind of took it from there. You know, as our members expressed a need for various kinds of information, we came up with um, reopening checklists and trackers for things like family and sick leave, all kinds of information from our GR team on what was going on in the Hill, especially with the Initial Cares Act. I mean, it really was absolutely all hands on deck pushing information out to our members constantly. It was really, it was, it was a fantastic level of engagement. And uh, Bill and Mary, as you know, we're, we're looking to import that into the next phase of you know, what we're going to do as a, as a trade association for our members. You know, the communication was the key. That was the only thing. I think people, the uncertainty, uh, having never been through this, not really knowing what to expect, what the next challenge was going to be, the ability to just talk and listen and learn. And it, it really helped not only the people that were participating, but the people who were participating that had others that were relying on them 
to give them some information, some hope, you know, for that we know what we're doing and we're going to get through this. And I, and I do remember those early days. It, it was just scary at, at the end of the day. It was just every day you really didn't know what was going to come next. And so you just had to be prepared knowing that something would come and that we had to respond to it. I think the, the big piece here is just the understanding that from day one, it truly was in all hands on deck from NRF team to all of our members. So, I mean, we've been communicating with our members, tens of thousands, upwards of like 40,000 industry leaders since the start of the pandemic. It's incredible. Hundreds of webinars. I, I think we've scaled up and scaled down some of those webinars and those convenings. And every time that we seem to have pulled back a little bit, we then get asked to, to start hosting them again and hosting more of them. So Steph, can you talk a little bit about how some of these programs have evolved since the beginning of the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. So it started as back in March, we just started to host calls every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for our members to jump on. And we would have people from GR update people on what was going on in the Hill because at the time, that was actually one of the most important issues. We would have law firms jump on and talk about what the latest was that you needed to be concerned about with masking and the ADA and break again, sending people home, bringing them back, all that kind of thing. And then we ended up kind of dividing participants into different issue areas like operational health and safety, legal issues regarding employment, litigation risks. And those groups had calls once a week. And if you added it up, I think we we were having six calls a week for our members on various COVID-related topics. And they had a certain structure to them. And we eventually broke those down. And after about six months of doing those calls, we ended up with three calls a week and then two calls a week. And right now, the two calls a week, we call best practices calls because folks can get on and ask questions about what other people are doing with all kinds of new and emerging issues. And of course, vaccines are the most important issue right now. But to, you know, to kind of break the numbers down a little bit more, we've had over 350 industry professionals engaged just through those offerings. It's been 35,000 industry-wide in terms of all of the webinars and all of the content that we've that we've generated on a whole variety of platforms. We've had seven, over 750 discussion groups online about various topics. And we've had an additional 200 or so events and calls and webinars on specific topics. And again, our emphasis has been on speed. If there's an issue that has come up where multiple retailers have said, actually, I don't know the answer to that. I would really like to know. Then rest assured in four or five business days, we will have a webinar on that with, with experts ready to talk about it. And this model has been so successful that you know, recently when we did this with a lawyer from Jackson Lewis, who's the former general counsel for the EEOC, specifically about vaccination, some legal issues regarding vaccinations, we still, 18 months into the pandemic, had over 70 people on the call. So we definitely are on to something here. 
But more specifically, honestly, and more importantly, it really does feel like we are continuing to provide information that's really important to our members that, that keeps them coming back. And I'm really proud that through the work of your team, Mary, and membership and GR and all the people around NRF that I really do think we've become the go-to for anyone who has any questions and wants any resources regarding the industry. It was, um, it was interesting. I can't remember who we were talking to. It was an RGR episode, but uh, the comment was that, you know, this retail is one of the most competitive industries in the world. These guys are out to win. And uh, the idea that they would come together, put that competitiveness aside, and look at what needed to be done in order to really, at the end of the day, survive was absolutely amazing. They said they've never seen anything like that. They've never participated in anything like that. It may never happen again. But all of that competitiveness off to the side in order to ensure that their associates were safe and that the customers they were serving were going to be served in a safe environment. And, you know, even the foundation got into Mm -hmm. action. They set up in, in record time, they set up a website, a job board, for displaced retail workers, 1.2 million jobs that these retail workers that were being furloughed or laid off, um, these were, you know, retailers want people that worked in retail. Right. So, you know, the, the training is a lot less and the uh, understanding is a lot better. And so it was it was hugely successful. That actually reminds me, one of the next topics that we're definitely addressing that our members are really interested in are uh, labor shortages, right? So that's that's something that we're definitely convening around. And I, uh, <laughs> the lawyer in me is, the, the lawyer voice in my head is saying, Stephanie, you should mention the fact that uh, that we do not, uh, that we are very careful to stay clear of antitrust <laughs> sure. when, when, we're, when we are discussing best practices and commonalities and things like that. We, uh, that's why we have lawyers. Exactly. <laughs> that's why we have lawyers on the call. So let me, let me just put that out there. But um, <laughs> I can't help myself. You know, I thought of that even before myself. I said that. I thought, so this is going to cause Stephanie to get the willies, but I. <laughs> but obviously, we did it right, so I don't think anybody's going to get in trouble. Um, but I, you know, something. Uh, speaking of the importance of having retailers feel like they can discuss things with each other freely, one of the things that was really important early on is, you know, we of course had members who had been open throughout the pandemic, correct, because they were branded these so-called essential retailers, which. You know, as a rubric we have issued since then, but in any event, they were they were open and they had experience serving customers during the pandemic, and uh, they were willing to get on some of these calls and talk about what their experiences have been so far and what has worked and what hasn't, and uh, that has just been incredibly helpful to uh, their colleagues and competitors throughout the industry. And I, uh, as you say, I'm I'm hopeful that that has kind of made people realize. That uh, that there is information that you can uh, safely and and really constructively share with each other when we have these convenings, and I think I think people the quality of a lot of our calls, whether whether they're now about privacy or organized retail crime or anything like that, the the quality of the calls I honestly think has gone up because people have gotten to know each other and and come to trust. That they can that they can share the information about some of what they're doing and seeing and experiencing um, to the benefit of everybody. We also provided a vehicle, and I want Mary the um, the ability for our 
members to engage with Congress, with policymakers, uh, particularly as it related to, you know, like the some of the pandemic relief. Um, you know, it, it just it was pretty amazing what numbers we saw in that regard. Yeah, for our grassroots advocacy, we had almost 20,000 advocates who sent close to 45,000 messages to Congress, you know, whether it was in support of targeted pandemic relief. Um, I mean, it was just an incredible response. And we still continue to see those types of numbers uh, with other advocacy outreach efforts. I think that's one silver lining to all of this is that it's really brought us a lot closer with our members and with our retail advocates. And I think, you know, we're planning to continue that even post-pandemic to have those these types of relationships and constant communication. Well, you know, we have a lot of very active and engaged councils, uh, council members, retailers represented from across the board, all sizes, um, all categories. And one of the things that I think we did pretty successfully, Stephanie, is you know, utilizing those councils and listening to what the concerns were, were were some of the benchmarking that we did. Oh, absolutely. And um, uh, I'm glad that you mentioned that because one thing I really, really wanted to emphasize in this conversation is that all of those conversations so improved our advocacy efforts. I mean, we were able to take what we were hearing on these calls in real time and talk to members of Congress and talk to the administration, first the Trump and then the Biden administration, uh, very accurately and with a lot of authority about what retailers were experiencing and what they were seeing um, and what what challenges they were they were in the throes of. I think a really good example of an effort that I'm proud of is uh, when we sued the state of California over their uh, emergency temporary standard, um, which we, of course, did not object to a standard to to keep employees and customers safe. What we did object to was the kind of meat axe approach that the state of California took. Um, and although we were not successful in litigation, the fact is that because of those calls, we were able to draft a really specific complaint about what our members were already doing. And, and frankly, how we had helped our members to do what they were doing um, to keep people safe. You know, we also... Had developed training modules that were downloaded by um, hundreds of members uh, and used to help train employees in uh, COVID health and safety, um, and also on uh, workplace confrontation, which is probably a topic for a whole other <laughs> podcast, sadly. But in any event, this the the quality and quantity of our interaction with members made what we were able to do for them so much better and more accurate, and made us sought after too. Uh, by by people uh, in government and by and by the press and you know I I think that even though we weren't successful in court in California I think that what we did there probably really helped inform what the federal government did then when the Biden administration came in and eventually released uh, guidelines for dealing with COVID they were um, much narrower than what California had done. And I, I like to think that the fact that we uh, were able to throw a pretty good brushback pitch there had something to do with that. You know, and in tip of the hat to our friends in the foundation, they did a phenomenal job at pivoting online, yeah. providing the services, the communication, the education that the students needed, wanted. The participation was uh, through the roof. 
And all of our uh, member companies that participated by basically putting programming together with their interns that could not be there in person, but they made it a a learning experience and uh, they continue to do it. And it's been hugely successful. And again, Stephanie, to your point, it's something that I don't think we just did it one and done. I think we learned a lot from it and we recognize the value of it, the relevancy, and we're going to continue to do it, pandemic or not. So as a listener of Retail Gets Real, you do know that we do have a section of the program uh, that we call Rapid Fire. One of our favorite segments on Retail Gets Real is Rapid Fire. Thanks to our sponsor, PwC. All right. Mary, kick us off. Seth, what has been your favorite purchase during the pandemic? Uh, My dog. My dog. We got a a pandemic puppy. Right answer. (laughs) (laughs) Pandemic puppy. I keep telling people they call it COVID-19. It's like... Are they talking about my weight or is that the, you know, the real honest? Yeah, because I, I put on the COVID-19. So what is always in the Mart's refrigerator? Uh, hot sauce. Good. Okay. Uh, well, it has been a very stressful 18 months. So what have you been doing to relax? Oh, my God. Uh, other than... <laughs> Than adult beverage. Walking your dog. <laughs> I was going to say, other than alcohol, what have you done? Uh, we've watched, uh, you know, my husband and I have watched a lot of really good shows, honestly. Tons of tons of good content out there. And we've been able to, you know, catch up on some of the things that we were sort of more latecomers to. But that's that's probably what we do at night to, to relax the most. Last book that you read. The last book I read was uh, An Ugly Truth by Shira Frankel and Cecilia Kong uh, about the uh, history of Facebook and content moderation. It's uplifting. Mary, close us out. Okay. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Uh, This too shall pass. Boy, was that not the best advice you could ever receive for a time like this. (laughs) I mean, it really was something you had to constantly remind people of. This This is not it. Uh, so we'll, we're going to get through it and we'll be better for it and we'll we'll move forward. Yeah, we'll get you through a lot. Stephanie Martz, thank you so much for everything you do, not just for the National Retail Federation, but for your colleagues, and for our members and for the communities that we serve. Thank you for everything. Oh, thank you, Bill and Mary. It's been a pleasure. Mary, thank you for co-hosting. Thank you, Bill. You did a great job. As usual, didn't expect anything less. And thank you all for listening to another episode of Retail Gets Real. You can find more information about today's discussion and more at RetailGetsReal.com. And please send your feedback and episode ideas to podcast at NRF.com. As we've said over these last 18 months that we've been able to do this program, please be safe, stay well. Until next time, thanks again.